Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We're coming at you on a Monday. It's a little odd. We're sleep deprived. It'll be an interesting episode. I can guarantee you that. First off, because we had to talk about some breaking news that happened just before recording this. USC finally has an opponent. They know who they're going to play on Friday in the Pac-12 championship game. So we'll get into that. And we'll talk about how USC got to the championship game. Of course, they clinched it before playing UCLA. But they also took care of the Bruins in a last-minute victory, the third of this season. We'll get into that with some stock up and stock down. Then we'll have some take it or leave it from Chrissy T. And then we'll answer your questions. As a reminder, you guys can send us your questions or submissions to the pod at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. Also, look out for a tweet from Shotgun randomly. Put them on tweet alerts. There you go, Shotgun. Plug for you. Nice. You can put your questions and we'll try to answer those as well. But guys, like I said, USC actually has an opponent. When we talked to Clay Helton and Graham Harrell earlier this morning, they were preparing for two opponents. But at least now they know they're playing Oregon. First off, I guess, Shotgun, how did we get here? This seems like a very roundabout way to knowing who USC is going to play on Friday. Well, first there was this virus. It was a coronavirus. Uh, you know, there was a... Uh... Too far. Short now. Okay. Uh, How how did USC get here? They went 5 0. They won three games in dramatic fashion, but they finished 5 0. And they found out beforehand on Saturday that they would be advancing to the Pac 12 championship game and hosting because, you know, uh, UW and Oregon could not play. Washington was going to be the victor there in the Pac 12 North at uh, 3 1, I believe it is. Uh, or four and one, and then you know Oregon was three and two. Instead, it's going to be Oregon going to make the trip because Washington is the reason why those two teams could not play last week. They they currently have no offensive linemen available apparently, um, and so they are also and so that position group is under the threshold significantly. But they also are under the fifty three man scholarship limit uh, or minimum. And they won't be able to participate this weekend. They won't be able to play because of contact tracing and positive tests. So the Pac-12 has decided, hey, we'll just sub someone else in. Hey, USC, you have 5-0. Don't worry about it. We're going to put a 3-2 and team in there. But it's Oregon. USC is going to be excited to be playing against Oregon. They were going to be looking forward to this one. And they get to host. So USC is now hosting Oregon on Friday for the Pac-12 championship. Second short week in a row, partially because of COVID also, because they had to play two weeks ago on a Sunday. Uh, but two weeks in a row, they'll be playing on a short week. So now they start preparing for the Ducks after the last two days. Clay Helton said today that, hey, we focused on Washington all yesterday. And we've been fo- we're going to focus on Washington until maybe late tonight. Well, now they got word that Washington's not going to play. So they'll flip over to the Ducks 
and start preparing for them with about three days of preparation to be able to get ready while Oregon's probably been preparing for USC since last week when their game got canceled. I know it's a breaking news story, but I don't think any of us are surprised of the switch, just given what we know, how the Pac-12 has handled uh, these these corona cases and how long it takes for a team to actually get back in action. Which is why I don't understand if you know that your entire position group of your offensive line is out. Why did they wait till Monday to announce this? It makes no sense. It's it classic Pac-12. Classic Pac-12. It was basically the this is fine meme with the dog in the room. That was basically what it is. We're gonna this is fine. We'll, we'll make a way. We'll find a way in the next 24 hours to make it happen. Obviously, did that that did not happen. Uh, just from a matchup standpoint, this Washington would have been the better game for USC in terms of if you're looking at the rankings and the resume building for people who want to look at that. I picked Oregon as being the better matchup for overall success of USC with on the recruiting trail. This is the team you need to get over. Uh, to vanquish, uh, get past that loss from last season that they put on you. Recruiting standpoint, lots more storylines with, uh, you know, players that are on the, on the on the Ducks roster now. Uh, a lot of a lot of bad blood, not necessarily blood bad blood, but a lot of bit of a, a rivalry going on there. So I think that is the the, the game I want to see is the Oregon USC game. So unfortunate for Washington, but I'm happy that we're going to get another primetime matchup. I mean, obviously, this is what we all picked before the season, right? So, you know, everyone kind of predicted that USC and Oregon won face off. It has not gone as predicted as far as how the games have played out. But we get back to the marquee matchup of having USC and Oregon for the first time, I believe, matching up in the in the championship game. Uh, you know, when they started the divisions, this is kind of what you envision. You know, USC and Oregon, you know, at that time, what you know, we're under Chip Kelly and we're making their moves. So this is what you envision happening in a Pac-12 championship game. You'll get it. It's going to be weird. It's going to be different. There's no crowd. It's going to be at, on campus. And the the craziest part to me of this whole thing is Colorado is just left in the wind. What happens to the Buffs? They get no love. And, you know, if they would have won, they would be even more furious about this. Um, you know, but they lost last week to Utah, which is why USC knew going into the UCLA game that they would be the Pac-12 uh, South representative. But Colorado, solid season. We didn't expect anything from them. No quarterback, new coach. New coach doesn't get to practice at all. They go 4-1, and one, give them a lot of credit. The only game they don't get to play is USC. So if they would have played that game and beat USC, they'd be representing. Instead, the Pac-12 tells them, hey, you know what? You're going to have to come to L.A. You're going to play Oregon in a third, basically a third-place game on Saturday after it. And if you know either one of you needs to step in, uh, to represent on Friday because of COVID, then you'll do it. Well, now you know Oregon's stepping in. Colorado, they're, they're still telling them, like, you know what? You'll probably still just need to come to L.A. You can schedule a game if you want, but you got to be prepared to come and step into this game if need be. So they're just leaving them out there in the wind, like, yeah, hey, you got to come do this anyways. I don't care. I don't, what are you doing? doesn't matter what you're doing this weekend. You're going to come Saturday, and you're going to sit in the Coliseum. And if I'm Colorado, I'm just coming to sit in the Coliseum even if I don't have a game on Saturday. I'm like, no, you guys told us we're coming. I'm sitting here. I'm going to sit on this middle of this field. You guys aren't going to be able to do any work. No, no work's being done in the Coliseum. You made us come. We're going to sit here. Pac-12 Colorado's giving me real, like, side chick vibes. Like, I might need you, but, you know, just, <laughs> you know, just be on standby. You're the side chick. Like, they're just left out to dry. And like, they're making them travel to L.A. in a pandemic just in case. And then probably not to play anyone. They haven't said an alternative opponent at this point. How does this make 
any sense. <laughs> and you would think, like, maybe they could set something up. But, you know, San Diego State's been playing in Los Angeles. Maybe you could set – well, those two teams already played. So it's not like you can set something up for, like, a Sunday just-in-case game or, or whatever. You know, it just – Nothing is working out for Colorado this season. Their their best opportunity was to be able to play USC, beat them, and then win their way in. Unfortunately for them, they they weren't able to do that because of USC. And then now they get kind of the the short end of the stick once again. They don't have a true opponent while everyone else has been matched up uh, in the conference. Colorado's kind of left in the wind now. So we'll see what happens with them. It's it's an ever evolving situation because it is the Pac-12 and it is uh, you know 2020 with a COVID season. So we'll see what happens with them. I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. But the matchup, you know, on, on Friday between USC and Oregon should be a really good one. I personally can't figure out why we're not talking about the true solution to this. An AP writer, Ralph Russo, pitched this. Just have them all play 20 minutes. Colorado, Oregon, and uh, USC all play each other for 20 minutes. Aggregate score wins the, wins the title. <laughs> that's, that's that simple, guys. It's right there. I like so it. So it's basically like a uh, a false scrimmage in a high school where they have the jamborees and you just go up and you play against the team for a little bit and then you sit out for a little bit and you come back in. It's almost seven on seven ish, you know. Just have a jamboree and let them play. I said, you know, make it a double header, make it a battle royale, you know, where two teams play on Friday and then they got to play again on Saturday. No time to lick lick those uh, war wounds. Just yeah, who cares about the health and safety of the players? Just make them play another game. Who cares? It seems like the Pac-12 way, anyway. The thing that stands out to me is that it just feels like the Pac-12 schools have to try to succeed in spite of their own conference. You know what I mean? Like, it just (laughs) seems like they're not getting – they're not being set up to succeed. And the question was raised for Clay Helton today as to why not just ask the the Pac-12 to name an undefeated USC 5-0 the Pac-12 champion. Why not go that route? Because you you know if this was the premier school in a different conference, they would try to set them up as much as possible going forward. I mean, you've seen that in other conferences. You know, there, there's been various ways that other conferences have handled this. Obviously, the ACC and the Big Ten did their part to make sure that Clemson Notre Dame wouldn't be matched up in the championship game for the ACC. You know, they canceled their games basically on the final weekend. Big Ten, they changed their, you know, their um, minimum rules so that Ohio State can get in the championship game. USC should now be rooting for Northwestern pretty heavily in this one. Um, but they also, there's other conferences. I, I think the AAC and uh, there's another conference who said, if for some reason there's a COVID issue, uh, the Sun Belt said this as well. If there's a COVID issue, then we'll just not play the game. We'll declare them co-champions. Another league said that if someone can't play, then we're going to name this team a champion. There's a bunch of different solutions to this. And, of course, the Pac-12 takes the one where that leaves you scratching your head the most. The craziest part to me is that we're now having to seriously, semi-seriously, at least address USC in the college football playoff. Does that make sense to you guys at all? I burned USC's resume on the on the on the concourse of the Arizona game, I burned yeah. it at my instant analysis. So I will not have this discussion. This should not. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna be a denier of this, even if they literally get into the CFP and we're covering the game. I'm going to be a denier that they should be in the CFP. But now, yes, they're five and zero. Oh. 
people are going to start for this whole week. That's all we're going to hear about. For this whole week, we're going to hear about oh, USC could sneak in there, all because thanks to Florida uh, losing to a, a crappy LSU team really opened the door for them. To, by to have throwing this a shoe. Week. By throwing Who the shoe. Who throws a shoe? LSU. <laughs> That's great. Great. Uh, I don't think we should be having this conversation. I think I I will say I will be in, I would be intrigued to see this team go up against one of the big boys, but I don't think this team needs to be on that big stage yet. It's not ready. It's not ready. Just look. Go back at the Arizona tape. Hey, this team is improving each week. I can't wait to see this team in January. I'm gonna jump through this <laughs> Zoom call right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, you know, now I don't know exactly how they factor into all these things, but ESPN's playoff predictor based on FB, uh, FPI had them at, you know, over 50%, I believe it was, if they, you know, going into this weekend to make the college football playoff. They have their playoff predictor gives them a 67% chance of making the CFP if they win on Friday. And an Ohio State loss would give them a 74% chance of making the CFP, and that's without a win. So I don't know what it is if they combine that with a win. you know. So USC, it, it'll be interesting on Tuesday when we see the college football playoff rankings to see where they are because that's the big thing. You know, How far you jump from 15 to where? You've got that extra data point. They've talked a bunch about how you got to have data points and all that. So do now that they're an undefeated 5-0 team, do they – you know, they get a couple extra notches on the belt. Um, you know, it, it's hard with the CFP. You know, there's a bunch of hypocrisy with some of their rankings. They say that data points really matter, but then, you know, uh, you have, like, Wisconsin was rated higher than USC with a 2-1 and one record. You know, they we'll go back to North Carolina being ahead of them and different things like that. So there's been a, a bunch of hypocrisy in their rankings, but they've been very fluid. So we'll see how fluid they are this week. When USC, you know, is now the the pack, the lone undefeated team in the Pac-12, if they make a big jump, then there's a possibility. I mean, there's still they still would have to jump over the Big 12 teams. They both have two losses, but are both in front of them that will be playing for the championship. Northwestern is ahead of them, so if Northwestern were to beat Ohio State, does USC somehow jump Northwestern still too? So there's a lot of unknowns, and we'll see where the, the CFP rankings are on Tuesday. And then USC still has to go out and take care of business, and it's going to be a tough task with a short week, with Oregon having more preparation, with USC having prepared for Washington already, starting preparing for them, and now having to flip the script. Uh, so there, there's going to be some things that are stacked against the deck for USC, but once you get out there, you're in the Coliseum, you don't have the fans behind you, but you know what's on, on the line. That, that Pac-12 championship, the conference championship is there, and I think because it's against Oregon, they're going to be super locked in this week. I think even much more so than they would have against Washington. They're going to be locked in, uh, you know, to try to beat the Ducks. I know we only found out about this a couple hours ago, but what is your very quick take about this game? How does it match up, especially on just short rest for USC? Because like Chris said, it's going to be an opportunity for USC to, to – right the wrongs of last year's matchup of a complete uh, blowout. And just, it's kind of the antithesis of what we've seen from this team this year, where they kind of just gave up right before the half. And then it was just like, Bleh, from the right, <laughs> I put that noise in the pod. It, was, <laughs> oh, it works. It works. It's perfect. It just was just like, they just gave up the rest of the, the game. So, I mean, what do you anticipate for this matchup in round two? 
I think it's going to be a good, you know, quarterback battle. I mean, with Washington, I mean, Clay mentioned it. He called uh, Washington QB Dylan Morris. He called him a game manager. He's been managing the game for them. But with Oregon, you have a, a young guy, Tyler Show. I believe that's how you say it, who's second in the the Pac-12 in passing, right behind Keaton Slovis. They have a, the second the second passing attack uh, right behind USC. So I think this is going to be a big challenge for USC secondary more so than Washington. Uh, in that regard. so And they have a pretty good running back as well in C.J. Verdell. I know they've been down a little bit the last two games. Uh, they've been upset twice, but, you know, I still think this is a formidable Oregon team, especially with all the talent they have poached uh, away from uh, USC's backyard. Yeah, Oregon has some pieces, sure. They don't have the offensive line they had last year. Um, and I think that as Graham Harrell talked about the, uh, today, this is a different team. The culture is different that they built the last two years where, you know, they laid down last year. You know, they got their spirit broken by Oregon after that that kickoff return by Michael Wright, another SoCal player that Oregon stole away from USC, uh, you know, right before the half. USC special teams are playing much better this year. So, you know, you would think that they would be able to eliminate a play like that this year uh, compared to what they did last year. So I feel like they're, they're much more confident coming into this game. Just with the the way that they're playing, the way they're finding ways to win, they're not playing you know fully up to their potential, but they still you know when their backs are against the wall, they're making plays and making things happen and rallying versus last year, particularly in that game, you know just like Keeley said, they laid down, they got their spirit broke and they you know they didn't come back at all in the second half and it started all with actually Isaiah Pulamau getting thrown out of that game with a targeting call and a big hit play over the middle. Um, then everything just started unraveling slowly by slowly uh, in that game. And the, the the straw that broke the camel's back was the, the kickoff return right before the half because it just gave Oregon all the momentum going into the break. So we'll see how USC comes out. I think they got a, a lot of animosity uh, stored up from the last year's game. But there are going to be a ton of new faces. I was looking through some of my photos from last year, and there's just so many guys that just are no longer in this game. You know, there's just a, a, a plethora of players that made big-time plays both for Oregon and USC last year that aren't going to be participating in this. You start with the offensive line for Oregon, Penny Sewell being gone, USC, you know, Michael Pittman. You got the Micah Pittman now. You got younger brother. Uh, Jawan Johnson had a, bu- a couple big catches for Oregon. He's gone. You know, there, there's just a bunch of playmakers on both sides, Brady Breeze and Thomas Graham and, you know, all these guys that have opted out, uh, you know, Javon Holland. It's going to be a completely different group, but that animosity is still in the locker room from last year. So I think USC will carry that with them into this game. Revenge is a powerful motivating factor. Very true. You sound like you're speaking from uh, experience, Chris. No, 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 no. (laughs) Moving on, moving on. That's not suspicious (laughs) at all. Moving on. Edit this part out. (laughs) Moving on, indeed. It's time to talk about USC's last-minute victory against crosstown rival UCLA. It's what you'd want out of a rivalry game. It was pretty exciting. Chris, it was so sad. You weren't there. This is the one time you weren't there with us. You were there in spirit. I texted you before the game. Your presence was there. But how did it feel watching from from home? Yeah, very quickly. Stock down on me covering an in-person game at the Rose Bowl. I did not get to go. I was limited. Ryan took my place. Uh, I'm not sick or anything. It was just a company thing where I could not travel to a away game, even though technically it's like, it's SoCal. It's like, it's not an away game. It's just up, it's up the road in a different direction. But it, w- it was hard to watch uh, on the TV, 
knowing you guys were there. I was jealous. As you should have been, because that was an epic game. Uh, it was terrific, you know, theater, back and forth action in that one. Uh, it was just disappointing that the fans weren't there to to really bring the energy and the vibe into it, uh, you know, to a different level, especially in a rivalry game like that. That would have been one of the classics that, you know, that everyone in the future would be saying, oh, yeah, you remember that game? I was there, that type of thing. Um, even if it wasn't, you know, even if they aren't great teams, it was a great game. I mean, it was, it was fun to be at and fun to cover on that one. Sorry, Shotgun. It's, it sounded like you said fans and not me. You meant me, right? <laughs> Who are you again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got it. I'm going to meet myself now. <laughs> okay, well, let's start off with stock up. Shotty, who you got? I'm going to start with Keaton Slovis' accuracy. You know, the... The last two games, just his ball placement has been terrific. You saw it. Uh, you know, he, he has missed some throws still, you know, trying to connect with Tyler Vaughns. He overthrew him a couple times. But when it comes down to it, when you have the clutch moments, he's able to connect. He threw the ball where Tyler Vaughns could go up and make a catch. He goes up over two guys to make that one. The throw to Amon Ross St. Brown, only uh, Ra is going to be able to catch that one. I just think his accuracy has improved the last two weeks, and that has allowed him to play with more confidence. And you're seeing that uh, turn around in the USC offense. You know, when he plays with confidence, the rest of the guys around him have a lot of confidence. And you see that that confidence show itself when he's making checks at the line and making plays. You know, that was supposed to be a design run call on the touchdown play. And instead he said, nah, I like I like my one-on-one matchup with Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm going to toss it out there. So he calls a check and throws it out there, touchdown. USC takes the, takes the lead and ends up winning. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. There were some pretty, pretty passes going on in the Rose Bowl, especially that the one I look back on is that Drake London 65-yarder. That was just a pretty ball over the middle. Nice job by him on that one as well. Pocket awareness, you know, finding some room in the pocket, moving around, and then, you know, finding an open guy down the middle of the field. On that note, I'm going to just jump in with my stock up. I had stock up for Drake London. I think he's really blossomed into his own. I know Graham Harrell said before the season that he he talked to London about, you know, you're not the freshman anymore coming in at the end of the season. You're a part of this offense, and I think you can really see that. Keaton Slovis, after the game, credited Drake London's just – He's just a yak machine, and he just (laughs) scratched and clawed for that touchdown, really sparked USC's offense, gave the team life. So stock up for Drake London helping out this USC offense. That that play was ridiculous to begin with. That was also his first touchdown since the game winner at Arizona State. So he got two touchdowns this game. So, you know, definitely stock up there. But also give him credit for the last play of the game. He was back there in the end zone. He's the one that swatted the ball away from uh, Greg Dulcich, the UCLA tight end. So, you know, using off those hops, uh, you know, I'm sure the basketball coaches are taking credit for that. Said it was all coaching potentially. You know, they they give him – they're going to try to take as much credit as possible there. Uh, But, you know, give him credit for just continuing to make plays and being such a tough guy. Got to hold on to the ball a little bit better. That's two straight weeks with a fumble. If you want to count that one as a fumble, they didn't list it as one. But when the ball pops out, uh, he regains it in midair after it kind of flicks off of a defender and then runs through. And there, there's like four or five different points in that that play, that 65-yard touchdown. And you're like, there's no way he's getting in the end zone. I have like four or five photos. It's like, how does this, this guy at this point make it in the end zone? Doesn't make any sense. But he just kept rumbling, tumbling, stumbling, and found his way into the blue. 
I'm going to jump in with my first stock up because I'm a little bitter that Shotgun just ruined a joke for me because I just kept talking and he just ruined a joke and I just have to move on to get rid of it. You're officially a true member of the pod, Chris, yeah. because that's the Shotgun podcasting experience. <laughs> I got shotted. I, got I, thought I, was, I thought I was setting you up, Chris, to talk no, about you, how you said a little bit tips. too much. You just said a little bit too much, and then I just had to. I was like, ah, I, I gotta go. I gotta X this one off. Uh, my first stock up is just the the recruiting boost for locals that USC got in winning this game. You know, they had built up a bunch of momentum, especially locally, going into the early signing period, which is days away. Just think about how much that would have been cut down by taking a loss here. Uh, first of all, going down so big and not being able to rally from that. But again, pulled it off, came back. That's going to set them up really well for recruiting this week going into Wednesday. So I had that stock up. Big win for, the, from, for them there uh, on the recruiting landscape. Yeah, we often say that recruiting doesn't, you know, a, a one game doesn't determine a recruiting battle. But momentum is huge. And, you know, they could still have lost last week and, you know, if they get down 28-10 and, you know, UCLA wins 35-17 or something, that you lose a ton of momentum going into signing day. And then, hey, you still win the Pac-12 championship and you say you want to show to recruits and they're like, I've already signed. I signed somewhere else because, you know, I just, I just didn't feel like you guys, you know, had that life or the juice or whatever it is. But this definitely gives them energy. They can point in every recruit they call and talk to this week. And that, man, did you see how exciting that game was? If we just had you, you know, we wouldn't even have been in that game, wouldn't even been close. Next time we're going to put up 50, you know, 55 on them, whatever, with you on board to help out. Or, you know, if you're on board, Corey Foreman, then, you know, they never get that many points. You know, we just need you to help solidify this part of the defense or whatever. You know, but they're going to use that to sell, 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 sell the last few days um, as they're this ridiculous week where they're on a short week trying to prepare for a championship game, but also trying to close out a recruiting class. And that five and all record just looks so much better than a four and one to sell. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is similar to what I was talking about with the Washington state, just the optics of it. Washington state, you know, 52 points looks a lot better than 38, you know, so just the, putting that extra numeral, forward you know having a 40 point game versus a 50 point game the five just looks so much better so five and oh i think look, definitely looks better i agree with you chris in a similar fashion i had stock up for team morale chris you were tweeting about this but the post game celebration was lit it was intense in ucla's locker room and you know just talking to a team source they were saying we really needed this in the sense that they've done a lot this season 2020 has been awful for everyone it was a lot of sacrifice for everyone involved a lot of discipline to get to where they are and so having a boost in morale like this was really good for the team and and just like shotgun said you need that to get you over the hump that is going to be this week between early signing period and a short week preparing for the championship game so stock up for team morale not a huge stock up but at least it you can tell that they were very excited after the game yeah 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 turn around and be ready to play on a short week uh, so rest the body and, and prepare to return to the field i've got tv in pasadena tyler vaughn's playing his last game the pasadena native playing his last game in the rose bowl unless something really weird happens and usc gets in the college football playoff uh his last game there um or unless usc makes a rose bowl next year and he comes back very unlikely scenarios there but you know he balled out for usc I mean, when they needed him the most, when they were struggling in that third quarter, 
it was basically a Tyler Vaughn's drive. They got a first down on the ground, and then like I feel like every throw after that was to Tyler Vaughn's. He makes a terrific diving catch in the end zone, but then also the terrific catch on the sideline to set up the final touchdown. You know, I think it was a 38-yard pass there, something like that. So big play there, going up over two defenders. He was terrific in this game when USC needed him the most, and he's kind of been overlooked a little bit with Drake London, the way he's emerged, and Amon Ross St. Brown having the four touchdowns last game. You know, he's been overlooked a bit, but that's three straight games he's had a touchdown. Yeah, I wrote about this in my 10, you know, what you just said. Final game for him, probably in in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, he's been overlooked considering the cast around him. And it was just great to see him have the signature game this season after coming back. I think he made himself a little bit of money with that performance and the way he's been playing the last couple weeks for the NFL draft. And... Yeah, he was the one that picked them up in the third quarter, the quarter they've been struggling in all season. And also, I love when wide receivers lay out for the ball. I feel like I don't see that enough. So I love a good layout touchdown. Uh, and then after, this was a little bit of my hurt it, but you know, when he said, this is my house, uh, you could hear him saying that to the guys after that touchdown. So just a great day uh, for him. And he was one of my MVPs uh, of this win. So yeah, big ups to TV. And because of that diving catch, I had on stock up third quarter touchdowns. They finally scored one, and then they added a second one. So, you know, finally getting in the end zone in the third quarter, um, which is something they've struggled to do coming out of halftime, and it was crucial in this game. Even though they lost a point in the third quarter, they, they went a, a point further down. Uh, but just to have the momentum and get that going in the third quarter because, you know, they were kind of lifeless after UCLA scored right before the half and then right after the half to take a, that 18-point uh, lead. So they got some momentum going after that, and it started with Tyler Vaughn's on that drive and then making that big catch for him. Audible stock up Chris Trevino and his crystal ball. That's two weeks in a row he's had a relevant take-it-or-leave-it that shows up in the game. First one was Almond Ross St. Brown and his touchdown. Second one was third-quarter touchdown. So I'm very curious what this week will bring, Chris. Yeah, I just want to say that I was struggling for the Washington State Utah games. I was one for 10. There was, you know, the national media was calling for my head. I was on the hot seat a little bit. So I needed a big performance. And so I came out and went four for five uh, in my prediction. So I, I, I think that cooled me down a little bit, but I'm hoping to build off that going to Friday's Pac-12 title game. It sounds like you got, you're got you looking for a little bragging rights there, which Tyler Vaughn's also got over his younger brother, John John, who was on the other side. So some uh, some Vaughn's bragging rights also in the stock up for Tyler Vaughn's. It was so funny to me because Ryan tweeted out, it's such a shame that none of his family is here. And I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> not <laughs> technically true, Ryan. Chris, what's your final stock up for us? Keely, I know you're worried about Shotgun going long for his numerous – uh, stock up so I'm going to take one away because I know this person's on their list Max Williams he was on my list last uh, last week uh, for stepping in making some big plays he was just phenomenal in this game uh, small but mighty the guy is just a playmaker a football player going head to head with guys three times his size making plays in the backfield I think Shotgun had a great tweet about this you want 11 Max Williams on your defense on your football team out there with the starters because that guy just he just has a nose for the ball nose a nose for making plays size does not matter no fear in that guy so big stock up to him trending in the right direction yeah i i would put if i was going to put him i figured you were going to throw him on there so i didn't put him on my list but i would put just max williams effort 
I mean, the way he – it's not that he goes and he's, you know, making a bunch of interceptions like Talano Hufunga is right now and, you know, just being in the right spot and creating turnovers. It's his effort to attack blocks. You know, he's, what, 5'9", 175, 180 maybe? And he's taking on 300-pound pulling guards and just destroying plays. In the second half, that was the big thing is USC's defense was able to start creating some negative plays – for UCLA in early down situations. So now it's second and 12. It's, the, you know, they're getting in third and 10 situations rather than being third and one and it changes completely the dynamic of the play calling and whatnot. And a lot of that started with, you know, guys like Max Williams just attacking and just blowing up plays, even though he's not making a tackle necessarily. And a couple times I think he did, uh, but he's blowing it up. Like one play, he takes out the guard. His guy is also getting taken out. And because of that, the running back has to try to jump over somebody, and three other guys are now off their block and are going, where if everything's on schedule, then there should be a nice big hole there for the running back. But Max Williams destroys everything just because he's, you know, his effort and wanting to take on a block and wanting to get by his guy, just efforting more than the other, the, you know, the other, uh, the wide receiver wants to block him. Um, so if you have 11 guys like that on the field, you know, that that's, you you're going to win a lot of games with effort like that. So you got to find players like that. And he's a guy that, you know, if you watch him in, in a camp situation and it's just seven on seven, you might be like, yeah, he's making some plays. But when you see him in full pad and you see him going full speed, you see it's different. And that's something that maybe you miss if you're not being physical enough in a camp or if you have a short camp like they had this year. You know, he's a guy that didn't start out in the rotation. He was getting some playing time with, with Greg Johnson, backing him up. But he wasn't getting as many snaps. Now he takes over with Greg Johnson out. Uh, but he was also in you know, the previous game in the dime situation and stuff. He was on the field. He played the most snaps of anyone the, the previous game against Washington State. So you're seeing someone who's gotten their opportunity in games and showing what they can do and showing that you know, game situations can be different than practice. Sometimes you have to give those guys an opportunity and they show, show themselves out. Quick audible stock up for Tuli Tui Pelotu. Shaka, I feel like you have him on your. You guys just. Do you guys think I have every single person on there? You have like 90 stock up. So it's just. You said 17. Not. You said 17 going into this. So what do you want? What do you want I, I technically me? wrote down seven. I combined Tyler Vaughn's and third quarter touchdowns. Come on. What else do you have, Shoddy? I mean, the run game. We, we got to talk about the run game. The run game, at, at, you know, just the fact that they had one. <laughs> that's got to be stock up, right? You go from five yards to having anything more than that. It's definitely stock up. Uh, Vavai Melapei was terrific in this game. The offensive line, I thought, gave him a you know gave a better push uh, in this game. I broke it down in my stats piece that the offensive line were gave the running backs 1.5 yards per carry. So before they got contact, before they you know were were trying to to make a move against somebody that had 1.5 yards. And that's not a huge number. You know, they had two over two yards the first two games. But the last two games, it had been under a yard. They'd been at like 0.8. So they almost doubled, you know, the, the amount of yardage they were giving their running backs before they ran into, you know, before they had to break a tackle, before they had to do anything, ran into the defense. So the offensive line did better, and Vi showed some terrific vision. First 100-yard rusher of the season. So he, the run game was definitely on there. My, my last one... And I think it's going to flow, actually, stock up and stock down, is Pac-12 championship. Because it's stock up that they're playing Oregon. I mean, this is the matchup everybody wanted to see. This is the matchup where there's animosity. This is the matchup where there's storylines. So stock up on that. Then we get kind of that matchup, and it'll be fun to, you know, the, the, fun to see those two teams go at each other when they don't really like each other. 
especially the coaching staffs. Stock down, though, in the Pac-12 championship with how the Pac-12 just handled everything this week and how they've handled most things this, this entire season. But the Pac-12 championship, you know, just the, what we talked about earlier with Colorado just getting being left in the wind, you know, how they've kind of handled this, I, you know, stock down in the Pac-12 and how they've done it. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. Now, before we officially move on to stock down, we actually have a stock neutral submission. It's a game changer, guys. Mark down this day. John from LA sent a Business Wire article and said, I'm all in favor of stock neutral and part of stock neutral nation. What up? Shouts to the nation. Am I right? And he said, shotgun is wrong. John from LA is my new favorite person. Stock neutral is an official Wall Street term used in equity research. And I quote from the article, in the new system, buy stocks are expected to have a total return of at least 10% and are the most attractive stocks and a coverage cluster. Neutral stock prices are expected to remain flat or increase, but be less attractive than buy rated stocks. There you go, Shotgun. Neutral stock prices, so not stock neutral. Okay, so prices prices cannot move, but the stock is either going to go up or down. It's going to remain unchanged. The words stock and neutral were together, and that's all we're going to take away from that? Not buying it at all. Too bad. Merrill Lynch is, and that's what matters. You always say, go ask Wall Street. Well, there you go. Wall Street spoke. I don't even count Merrill Lynch. Come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> anyway, let's officially move on to stock down. Chris Trevino throwing you a curveball. You're up first. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go and try to bunt this. I think everyone knows what, what's coming here. Uh, stock down on tackling. Uh, just the whole game, it was a consistent theme. We saw some of this against the, in the first drive of the Washington State game, but they kind of leveled it out and we got a lot better. But here, from the get-go, throughout the entire game, just tackling, they could not finish tackles. They made some big plays down the stretch, but just the... the I don't know what it was. They just could not stop uh, these Bruin runners. Uh, couldn't bring down Dorian Thompson Robinson. Just, just, just an issue all over. Even Clay Helton had trouble tackling Drake London in the end zone. <laughs> just, just started from. The, it starts from the top. It just starts from the top down. And I, I can see why this team struggled so much when you got an effort like that at the top. If you didn't read my stats piece, do you know how many tackles they missed? I do not. I would guess twenty-three. Healy. So I know you told me, but I was shocked by this number because I thought it was more. They only missed 14 tackles according to Pro Football Focus, which I thought was surprising too. It's only slightly higher than they've been averaging 11.5 the first four games, so not drastically higher. They actually had a missed tackle rate, which is how many missed tackles they have and how many snaps there are played um, of 17.7 in this game. They were actually worse against Arizona and worse against Utah. You know, there were less plays in the Utah game, I think, but they had 20% in both of those games. Surprisingly, their best missed tackle rates this season have been when they started the season and didn't have, you know, you're always going to have some missed tackles in the first game, you think. But then also when they had the break and weren't able to practice, it makes no sense at all. But their missed tackle rates have been the lowest in those two games. Their missed tackle rate for the season is 16.7%, and that is really high. They're third worst in the Pac-12. Um, you know, 
you want to be down around 10%. Now, granted, there's this season is extenuating circumstances with all the issues and stuff. And that's why a lot of teams, their numbers are a little bit higher than they have been in previous years. But the fact that USC is is ninth uh, or 10th in the Pac-12 is also not a good sign. Uh, shows you that they need to do better. But it was I was really surprised they only had 14. It did definitely feel like a lot more than that. I had stocked down on discipline in key opportunities, a.k.a. stocked down on penalties, but I guess that's stock up on penalties. I thought USC had critical penalties. I know Shotgun's going to come in and do the Shotgun thing where he tells me exactly what happened, but there were... <laughs> penalties and critical situations that stalled USC's drives, especially I think it was the first drive of the game for USC. And you can't have that when your offense is already having issues with being clunky or not fluid. You need everything to go as much as possible that you can control. And if you have penalties get in the way, it just is another weapon in the chamber that USC continues to shoot itself in the foot with. So Stock up on penalties, stock down on discipline. Not sure how you phrase it, but you get what I'm going for. Well, the biggest one was the black in the back on the, the Talanoa pick six. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our boy, Nick Figueroa, owes Talanoa a pick six. Uh, I think Talanoa could have gotten by barely without that black in the back, but that is, that almost changed the whole entire outcome of the game. If USC cannot score there, as we know, they struggled to finish off these drives, especially off turnovers. So if USC doesn't get in the end zone there, maybe has to settle for a field goal, or maybe they go for it, you know that 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 could shift the whole game back back to UCLA. But that was that was almost a huge killer. Now let me tell you why y'all are wrong. Okay. The the, the, tro the Trojans were penalized for more yards than the Bruins, but UCLA's penalties were the ones that were more impactful, particularly in the second half. I mean USC still, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker gets called for the pancake block. Uh, he gets called for holding. It seemed like a bad call. But USC still scores a touchdown after that. Nick Figueroa's block in the back. Could have been a pick six. Should have been a pick six. Still were able to get, you know, a touchdown after that. But UCLA on the other side, they had two times USC had third and ten. They gave them first downs. One of them, they jump off sides and then get a, you know, a pass interference. Automatic first down. Later, they have third and ten. They give them back-to-back -back, uh, jumping off sides. They give them a first down in the red zone. It was like, what are you doing, UCLA? At least just play play the defense. And, and, you know, if USC beats you, they beat you. Don't beat yourself like that. That was just awful. And on offense, the Bruins had a false start on a second and two. The next play, uh, they get stuffed. They get they get, go to fourth and one. They get stuffed on that and have to turn the ball over on down. So UCLA had some more ones that are more impactful. I will say USC's also were not good. Um, so it could definitely still be on stock down. But I want to say that UCLA's were definitely more impactful. USC's, they had more in the first half than they did the second half, I believe. So, you know, it didn't, it wasn't like that, that holding call on Jalen McKenzie on that first drive derailed a game winning drive or a game, a fourth quarter drive or something like that. So they, they made up for some of those mistakes that they had. Sure. But you might not always get away with it. And when you've had offensive issues, you just don't want to have something get in your way. Yes, oh, my you... God, you could, you would say that about everything this year for USC. <laughs> you might get away with it this game, but next time, well, it, it, it just it feels like it feels like uh, Scooby-Doo here. If it wasn't for you meddling Trojans, <laughs> they just find a way. Well, that's what I told you in instant analysis. It's like the way they play games is just not sustainable, and yet they're undefeated right now. And, of course, that's because the Pac-12 South is bad, but it's just – crazy how somehow they've gotten away with it every single time 
the way the Scooby-Doo gang solved mysteries was not sustainable either. But hey, Daphne helps put it together and they are able to, you know, finish it off. Scooby-Doo analogies are just so overrated. Give me some Flintstones. Give me some Johnny Quest. Enough with these Scooby-Doo. You're using that too much. It's a crutch. That's, that's what I watched, Chris. Well, I'm sorry for you. Also, I don't think Keely was saying that USC's penalties were more hurtful than UCLA's. I think she was just saying USC, again, had some very hurtful penalties. I don't think her argument was they were worse than UCLA's. Thank you, but they, Chris. they overcame all their significant ones. But, I mean... But you, but you didn't have the confidence that they were. And they still did. When do you ever have confidence in this USC team? You're that's why they're, that's why they're bad. That's why they're bad. <laughs> Is what she's saying, because they've proven they can't, or rarely do they do. This was just like a, a exemption they, to the rule. They've done. They continue to find ways, and just like you said, where you're worried about when they have a turnover, are they going to finish off a drive? They've been doing that much better as well. They were four or five in the red zone with touchdown uh, efficiency. They kicked a field goal on the fifth try. You know they were like 55 percent. Two games ago, in the last two games, you know, eight of ten on you know red zone opportunities scored and touchdowns. So they're correcting some things. I'll give them a little credit every once in a while. You guys don't have to. It's okay. You don't have to. It's just weird because the the opposite of what you're arguing is like penalties are okay if you can overcome it, which I know is basically like the Pete Carroll era theme of like, ha, we got a penalty, but who cares? We're so good. But I mean, it's just. I don't get – he's just feuding to feud at this point, Chris. I don't know. You <laughs> you, you tried. It's it's Monday. He woke up looking for a fight. I mean, have you seen him on instant on Monday? He's just, like, all over the place. He's ready to go. It's, it's two back-to-back short weeks. I'm all over the place. Let's go. <laughs> well, given that – Bouncing what, off the walls right now. What else do you have on the stock down, sir? <laughs> I got another one that's going to relate to UCLA more than USC, but not blocking Drake Jackson. Stop down on that. Somebody block that guy. What are you doing? Again, UCLA, what are you doing? It's just, I, I, I don't understand the scheme where you decide, you know what? Let's leave their best player. Let's just let him come on. Let's let him come and we'll worry about everybody else. No, it, it didn't make any sense, you know, especially on the fourth down plays. They didn't execute very well. So stock down UCLA not blocking Drake Jackson or anyone to go over and forward. It did work slightly in the start because Dorian was really good at making him uh, like pause for a second to get to free up a little bit more time and make the play. But then by the end, it just the plan you had to change it because it was not obviously working. Yeah, give a little credit to to Todd Orlando. Some adjustments there. I mean USC has been blitzing like crazy this season. You know they blitzed uh, more than fifty percent at least. Uh, this season and in this game on UCLA had 38 dropbacks they only blitzed on nine of those and part of that was DTR was eight of eight for like 146 yards 160 yards and three touchdowns Um, so they had to make an adjustment but give credit where it's due that they did finally make that adjustment and uh, you know that they were able to to make some plays um, with what UCLA was trying to do against them. Chrissy T your final stock down what you got? I hate to put this one on here, but I have a little bit of stock down on Marlon Tuipilotu, who has sort of been missing the last two weeks. I know he didn't play a lot in the Washington State game because they got the big lead, so they kind of pulled them out at the end there in the second half. But he's only been credited 
for one tackle the last two games, which is not something you want out of your big stud in the middle. I know teams are probably scheming around him a little bit more, maybe throwing more double, maybe even triple teams at him. But I think the defense is so much better when this guy's making plays and like he was in the first uh, half of the season. And right now we're not seeing number 93, you know, doing what he did uh, earlier in the year. Great choice. I had him on there as well. Um, there's concerns just because with his past history of him fading in the second half of seasons. Is that the case of it? Is it just being schemed? He didn't play a ton last week, like you said. Uh, he didn't play at all in the second half, so didn't have a ton of opportunities there. But we'll see. I mean, it would be really big for him to come out, especially against the running attack that, that uh, Oregon has with a quarterback that can run as well. You need your nose tackle to be able to throw some guys around and be able to get and cause some havoc and, and force the offensive line to do some different things to free up some other people too. I had stuck down on running back rotation. Also just my understanding of the rotation. I don't really understand <laughs> what they're going for. And you could see on the sideline, like there was one play where Jinx tried to put in uh, Keenan Christen and then pulled him back and Steph went in. And then I think someone, people were saying on, on the tunnel vision chat that Steph was like yelling at Helton at one point. It just, I, I don't fully understand the rhyme or reason of like why Keenan comes in for the first play of the fourth. It just doesn't make sense to me. And now I'm curious going forward with uh, Vivai Malpei with a knee sprain. How severe is that? How much will that impact USC? And what does that mean for the rotation? Does Steph just assume the Vi role? I'm just, I don't fully understand what they're going for. And I'm curious about it. It's something where I wish we were at practice to get a better understanding or at least like, get a more casual setting to really ask Jinx about it, you know? I also had running backs on my stock down. Specifically, I had anyone not named Vavai Malapai I stocked down out of that running back group. Like you said, I, I just don't really understand what they're doing with that that rotation. Obviously, Vi was the man. He looked good running, running hard. Uh, but I was surprised to see that, you know, Marquise did not have a single carry until late into this game to pick up that big third down. He was in there for the final touchdown, I believe. Uh, but yeah, just, just a weird, uh, use of the running backs after it's just been a weird week. The last two games for these, for these, this run game. Yeah. Kenny Kristen comes in, he plays one snap and it's the first snap of the fourth quarter. It's like, that's a very interesting time just to throw a guy in there. Uh, I did again, didn't make much sense. You didn't really get answers on it either. Said that, Hey, we're going to roll with a guy if he gets going and they liked it. Vivai can do a little bit of everything for them. You know, he he pass protected more in this game than he had all season combined. Um, he had two, 22 snaps of pass blocking this game. Um, so uh, they're leaning on they leaned on him much more heavily this game. That's something that Stephen Carr does a lot when he's in the game. You know, they're able to to run block with him and use him as a passing threat. He's been the guy that's been the more complete guy just with his uh, pass protection as well. But uh, Vi stepped into that role, and that's why he he got basically two-thirds of all the snaps for the running backs. And there weren't many left around um, for Marquis Stepp and Keenan Kristen. So it was really interesting just the way they did it. But now he's got a sprained knee and it didn't sound real positive this morning when Clay Helton was explaining, you know, the injury to us. So we'll see where they go this week. You know, he, he Clay Helton said he had a conversation with Marquis Stepp yesterday talking about, you know, needing him this week and his, his potential to step in with if Vi is not able to go. So, We'll see how they go at it this this next week against uh, Oregon. You know, it could be game plan, but also it just seemed really strange because it was you know very far away from what they had done in any of the other games. I'm also curious which knee it is, just given 
Vi's extensive history mm-hmm. with knee sprains from last year and how much that lingered and he ultimately had to get surgery. So curious about that because even if it might not be a, a big thing, it might be for him specifically given his history. So TBD on that. Shadi, what else do you have for stock down? Wrap us up. Yeah. Great point there, Keely. My final one is uh, big plays. You know, USC gave up 14 quote-unquote big plays, which is a run of 10-plus yards or a pass of 15-plus yards. And, you know, they were significant. There were a couple of 10-yarders in there, but, you know, they had a 40-yard run. They had, uh, you know, 33, 69, 25, 23-yard passes. They had eight plays over 20 yards in this game. So, UCLA was able to get some big chunk plays in this one. So USC, that's one of the big things they need to fix on the defense. I'm surprised you don't have like 90 more. You good? I'm good. Oh, wow. Shocking. Okay. It was an exciting game. I'm just going to try to stay positive here with a short week too. Well done. Well done, Shotgun. Had the positivity fuel you on. Oh, stock down for sleep for everyone involved. <laughs> There's just not a lot of sleep this week. So stock down for that. Particularly for the coaches, the fact yeah. they have signing day. It's going to be it's going to be rough for them trying to uh, um, try to prepare for two opponents initially, now one, but also do signing day, which you know all the studies about sleep research and all that about how you function better on sleep. I wonder if there if someone makes a mistake on Friday and you go you know, and then you find out later they just didn't, weren't able to sleep much this week. An uncharacteristic mistake or something. I don't know. I have to issue my second note that you should not take sleeping advice from Shotgun Spratling. I just need that for the listeners. <laughs> Do not take sleeping advice from Shotgun Spratling. Our lawyers have stressed. We have to say this every time he gives some sort of sleeping advice. It's true. Do not take <laughs> sleeping advice from Shotgun Spratling. Very true indeed. I got two hours yesterday, you know, last week for, at the end of the week, I got, you know, an actual night of sleep. I'm, I'm sleeping in chunks here and two and hour chunks at most. He means two hours for the last seven days, by the way, that that's what <laughs> he means. So no, don't. The best part was that he literally sent Chris and I a text where he was falling asleep while texting it. And you can tell because the, the, the latter half just fell off with typos <laughs> and weird, like, punctuation marks it was just like i'm nodding off what's that i've been this it was just like <laughs> it was so weird it's like it's like the drake album it's too late if you're reading this and it like trails off that's what it was like <laughs> yeah it was the most shocking text ever just trying to inform you guys for our schedule that we had that day <laughs> well thank you a plus for communication Alrighty, it's time for chris's favorite segment heard it on the sideline or heard it from the couch if you will for for chrissy t what do you got, Shadi? Um, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but Amon Ross St. Brown scores the game-winning touchdown. They're celebrating in the end zone. Everyone's excited. The referee's starting trying to push him and get him away. Everyone's wanting to come off the bench and celebrate with them. You know, guys are going in for the extra point. Everyone's just super excited. Rivalry game, big touchdown, of course. Eventually, one of the coaches, I think it was Kerry Colbert, came down and tried to grab Amon Ross St. Brown and kind of pull him down the sideline and get him in the coach's box. Uh, which is extended to what the the 25s this year, I believe it is. So less that they have to run 15, maybe. I think so. Uh, extended to the 15 rather than the 25 this year. So less area to have to get inside the box to make sure you don't get a penalty or anything. But Amon Ra's being pulled along, and he just kind of takes off running, and then goes and dives and just does a straight slide 
across right in, uh, in front of the benches. You know, nice head first slide. He was just so excited and exhilarated in that moment that, you know, he let the emotions out there, went, went and had a, a full baseball slide forward. See, my heard it was that USC's bench just went insane for that final touchdown. And it reminded me so much of the another Rose Bowl celebration, the, the actual Rose Bowl, when uh, the game-winning kick happened and USC's bench went flying. It, it was very similar, and I was like, ooh, I got, I got uh, flashbacks. Very exuberant celebration from the team. Okay, they're they're gesturing me to go, so I think this means I'm supposed to go for the herd it section, my favorite section. I actually have a prepared herd it with shotgun teased, and it was the pronunciation of Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's by the broadcast crew on ABC being Taylor Vaughn's and Amon Ra Amon. It sounded like Amon Ra St. Brown, which is driving me crazy. Amon Ra St. Brown more so than Taylor Vons, because I did not pick up as much. Apparently, everyone on Twitter was having a real... That was the bigger issue for people on Twitter, but just get the names right. I know it's a tough job to call a game, and I would be terrified to do it, but those are... Tyler is not a hard name to pronounce. It's right there. It's not Taylor. It's Tyler. It's not like it's DJ Uwangalele or, you know, Uwangalele. It's not a, a difficult name. It's Taylor and Tyler. It's just reading it right. It's not the pronunciation there on that one. It's just reading in the name correctly. Come on. Come on, do your job. Uh, but but Eamon, Ra- Eamon might be a, a, a nice little nickname because, you know, DB say a prayer before they go up against them. I know. Prayer's up uh, when you're facing ARSB. You know, he should he should have gone with gone with a nickname or something if he couldn't get the name right. I mean, it, it was it was not very good. Um, this is not the most difficult of names out there. It wasn't even equanimous. It was it wasn't that Saint Brown. I think that's more difficult than Amon Ra. It's pretty simple. Just read the pronunciation guide. It just seemed like it, it, it could have been. There's been so many cancellations and stuff this season that they switched crews late or something. But those were pretty simple ones that. You know, on pretty high-profile players, it's not like Dorian Hewitt's coming in off the bench and you're struggling with his name or something. You know, it's not someone that you haven't seen at all during the season. I think there was also a Keenan uh, Slovis as well thrown in there. That makes sense. That makes yeah, there, sense. there was a couple of them. So what that announcer should do is what the USC sideline was barking at the USC uh, offensive line after they scored, I believe it was a Drake London second touchdown, and they were going to go for two on the play. There was an injured player for UCLA. And I just hear, because it gets silent because there's an injured player, there's no music being played in the in the stadium or anything, and you just hear from afar, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. The USC sideline, the, the weight training staff, was barking at the USC offensive linemen because they were apparently talking trash back and forth with the UCLA defensive linemen. And I don't know if it was just the situation where there's an injured player and they're like, hey, this is not the time to be talking trash or what exactly, but just out of nowhere, there's just kind of silence in the, the entire stadium and just hearing shut your mouth being yelled across the way was, uh, was pretty interesting. I do like hearing that the USC offensive line is talking trash. Some of those guys are really, really nice, and I just want to hear what their trash talk sounds like. Specifically, I'm referring to Brett Nealon. I want to hear what a Brett Nealon uh, trash talk sounds like. Is he doing it in uh, Japanese? 
That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, that'd be if he's just cursing somebody out in Japanese. I think that'd be pretty cool. I'm pretty badass. (laughs) Speaking of Brett Nealon, one of the things that I noticed and you know saw on some of the Instagram stories and stuff was there were a number of players that now have a graduate patch on their uniforms. So the semester ended. So I want to point out that Brett Nealon was one of those guys. Marlon Tui Pelotu, Jacob Lichtenstein, Caleb Trimbley, Connor Murphy, defensive line had several guys. Uh, there were a couple other guys as well, but just wanted to point that out. Something I saw and noticed, you know, that semester's over. Those guys got their patch, and that's one that they can be definitely be proud of. Congrats to them. Congrats to them. I wish I got a patch when I graduated. We'll, we'll make you a patch, Chris. We'll make oh, you, you a feud patch. How about that? Oh, oh, thank you. 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 <laughs> um, is it worth mentioning, guys? We talked a lot about it offline. But it might be time to mention it. Shotgun, you've noticed this in your film study for a while now. But Talanoa Hufunga is a sneaky... I don't want to say dirty, but he's... He's, a, he's an instigator. Sure. He's, an, he's an aggravator is probably he's frisky. more accurate. He's frisky? He's, he just does things that just will aggravate the, the heck out of you. Just like, dude, stop doing that. Just quit. Just like It's, it's like Big Brother... Like picking on little sister in the back back seat, like me with Keely on a road trip, just annoying the crap out of her. And like the parent, every time the parent turns around, is the referee, and it's like, well, that's not that bad. So you don't really throw, you don't pull the car over, you don't throw the flag. Uh, but like he'll lift a guy's leg up, he knocks the ball out of the the other of the uh, running back's hand as they're trying to get up. He steps over people all the time, and not as demonstrably as uh, as Elijah Griffin did to get a 15 yard penalty for it. He just does it coyly. He just, but it's just a bunch of stuff that's just like, just stop, dude. Just, just stop doing that to me. And but it's, it's never over the line. He's never drawing a flag, but he just aggravates the crap out. And it's got to be really aggravating for the offense because he's always there. He's always making a play. So you know, when someone makes 17 tackles, it's not like, well, he made two tackles. So that was the two times that you know he was stepping over, being annoying. Uh, in a in a pile or whatever. No, he's like on, on there there for like every other tackle. It feels like so you get really annoyed at him and you can't really say anything to him. Like, dude, you you suck. You can't do this. And you're like, no, actually, he's really good. And then you don't want to rile him up because then suddenly he takes a you know interception and nearly returns it for a pick six. So you know he is a it's an interesting thing to watch. And like you said with the offensive lineman, he's such a nice guy off the field. We talked to him, you know, in interview situations and stuff. Just a great guy, but. He turns it on. He's got that mentality when he hits the field. We should use this as a stock up for Talanoa as well. I don't think we named him, but he's been playing out of his mind. Uh, four consecutive games with interceptions. He was one of those so obvious that we just didn't have him on, on stock up issues. <laughs> oh, I thought. I guess I thought we mentioned it. I had him on my list as, as Talanoa Award Watch was my stock up. Ooh. Just because, you know, obviously he's got a lot of weekly awards this week, 17 tackles, forced fumble, interception. But also, you know, he's in the mix now for All-American honors and stuff like that. It's going to be interesting just because of the dynamic of how many games they're playing and stuff. But he's got to be definitely in the mix there. And looking at Pac-12 Player of the Year, it's going to be close, I I think, with him and uh, ZTF up at Washington. I think both of those guys are putting up huge numbers. Would have been great to see them on the field against each other this Friday, but that ain't going to happen. And that's where penalties matter. A pick six is flashy. People like seeing that. 
Might matter in award shocker. Looks good on the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. They still wish they still showed that highlight. Yeah, but still, I want to make my point. <laughs> Alrighty, Chris, I believe it is time to pass the torch to you. It's time for taking. Whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not finished with heard it. Oh, how do we how do we not discuss the end of the game? The entire USC team running by the UCLA sideline. I, I mean, I think that has to be pointed out. And particularly, the players were a lot of them were waving goodbye to the, the to UCLA, which it's their stadium. I mean, I guess they do have to travel to their stadium too. So I guess it is goodbye for them. But uh, Chris Steele had a special goodbye for them, using you know a special birdie finger to to point out that they wave goodbye to them. Um, so that was interesting. And Keely, I don't know how you're not pointing out Drake Jackson, which I didn't see. Oh my goodness, this was where it just killed my soul that I was not on the field being able to record because I was just from the press box surveying the celebration and all of a sudden at midfield I see this just majestic body go flying. He, I think he did a double backflip and the broadcast didn't catch it. We, they did not catch it, I know, because I was watching. But you mean a double, like a double back, back handspring. handspring, not a double tuck in the air. Like he did two rotations in the air. Because if you're claiming that he did two rotations in the air, he's Or did a he do a standing backflip and then do another standing backflip? Yeah. So you know how if you try and like remember something in your mind, it gets bigger and bigger and just more exciting? <laughs> that's, that's what's happening right now. He was just basically Simone Biles out there, just out there doing a full beam routine, and it was incredible. Did he change into a leotard to do this? He actually had it underneath. That's, oh. that's the key to his success on Saturday. <laughs> the Superman cape, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I, I guess I guess if we're talking about the near fight at the end, uh, I heard it to uh, backup center Justin Dietrich, who was kind of like the bouncer of the group. When things were getting <laughs> heated, he was the one running in, pulling off his guys, making sure everyone was, was staying around. You need a good get-back guy on the sideline and on a football team. And that, that's what his role was in, in, that, in that moment. He was, he, was, he was being a good teammate. He was getting people back. He was like an extra coach out there pulling people away. How do you guys feel? Like, now I, I know, like, Drake London comes off the field. Hunter Eccles, uh, Chris Steele, they're coming off and they're waving goodbye and stuff. But how do you feel about the walk-ons running from across the sideline and being some of the guys in that front line, uh, you know, saying stuff to UCLA on the other sideline? If we praise walk-ons in the NCAA tournament for their celebrations, I'm going to let the walk-on stunt oh, at the end of a rivalry game. Okay. So just let them go. Let them go. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. It reminds me of the bullpen guys who just run out like five minutes late. Like, guys, guys, please <laughs> wait for us. We want to be a part of it too. And my last heard it real quickly is, is, is directly related to that. I'm taking it back a year, though. If you remember Mario Cristobal – coming back out to celebrate on the Coliseum field after interviews, everything else. He wanted to soak it all in. We'll see what happens on Friday when he returns to the Coliseum. I think USC's players uh, and coaches kind of remember what happened after that game a little bit as well. Okay, Chris, it's time to pass the torch to you. It's time for Take It or Leave It. I just want to say our schedule has been moved. So we were unable to get a fake corporate sponsor for this week. What? I'm just kidding, guys. We got a fake corporate sponsor. <laughs> I knew you guys wanted one. Uh, 
Thank you to our presenting sponsor for Take It or Leave It this week. I'd like to talk to the fellas real quick. Hey, guys, did you watch USC on Saturday and think, man, I wish I could make a comeback like that? Well, now you can with this week's presenting sponsor, Rogaine. Help lead a comeback with your hairline in the game of life. <laughs> no longer have hair envy when you're watching Talanoa Hufunga, Raylan Goforth, or even Connor Murphy. Do you want hair like quarantine shotgun's beard but on your head well join the locks club now take control of your hair follicles and leave hats behind rogaine it'll be our little secret thank you so much rogaine for being our presenting sponsor of this corporate take it or leave it and with that i'll give them a second to catch their breath we are moving on to a big one right off the start. Keely, you sure. look like you're about to say something. I just want to say that Shotgun was really brave and took a sip of water right as you started that. No, <laughs> no, no spit take. I will report that. Great, 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 great. I got. I feel like I'm looking at my list right now. I just got four. Maybe a little sneak a little one in, but I feel like these are all really good ones. So I have, I have high hopes for these. I'm not going to start off real hot. I'm just going to go a little bit. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown will finish with at least 10 touchdowns. We'll finish the season with 10 touchdowns. Not 10 touchdowns in a game. Just, just let you know. He has I'm six. It. I'm he leaving six. It. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey, I hope he hears this. I hope, I hope that <laughs> I, I can spark him if need be. I feel like I just have to say take it for the sake of it at this point. He's had six in the last two games. You know, two more games left. Potentially more. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Okay, we have a split there. Shotgun, get ready to be a meme in a week. Next one. Drake London's 65-yard touchdown was more impressive than his fingertip touchdown against ASU. Keely, you go first. On this one. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I'm going to say leave it. Because oh, okay. the fingertip is more impressive because first game back, all on the line, first game as a sophomore, big boy in the offense now. I think it was that was very demeaning. I didn't mean big boy, big, big boy in the offense now. I love <laughs> no. it. Let's put that on a shirt. No. And I I just think it was more impressive. The season is what it is because of that grab. Whereas He's like I said earlier. He's just a yak machine at this point. You kind of expect that from him. This is hard. I don't fully agree with this. I really want to tee it to be honest, but I'm trying to lean into this new like decisive persona of mine. So there you go. <laughs> so she's leaving it. All right. She's got a new persona apparently. It'll last a week. <laughs> yeah, it will. <laughs> I'm leaving it for similar reasons as Keely. Um, individually, if you just look at it as individual plays. Without time and uh, score, then yeah, it's definitely much more impressive. But since he caught it with his fingertips versus he fumbled it away with his fingertips, even though he did regain it, I'm going to take the the touchdown. Game winners matter for more. Okay, all fair reasons. All fair reasons. Uh, but he also a... went beast mode. Okay, okay, he's back in. He's back in. He's leaning towards. It's a, it's a, it's a soft leave it. It's a soft, soft leave it. Leave it. I, I think it's think an that. official tee it from the both of us. But okay. Nah, nah, they're both good. <laughs> but no, I think the the game winning touchdown is still the play of the year so far. Okay, fair enough. Uh, there's been some changes in the coaching landscape. 
So I just want to ask, is this the last season of Graham Harrell? You think he's going to die in the offseason or something? That's exactly what I'm asking. The last season of him? Oh, gosh. At USC. At USC. Okay, well, that changes things, Chris. Semantics yes. are important. Okay. So are we taking or leaving that it's his last season? Is that what you're saying? That it is his last season? You're taking it that he's going to... Yes, you're taking it that he will not be here next season, either another opportunity. If you're leaving it, he's sticking around for at least another year. <laughs> I just asked this because there's been some changes, some big changes across the country. Oh, jobs opening up. If the Texas Tech job would have opened up, then I think it that's the job that he would take uh, for sure. Arizona could come after him. We've seen some smaller schools kick the tires a little bit. But I think he's going to return because he thinks what Keaton Slovis can do and what he can do for his career as well, having Keaton Slovis on his resume going forward. So I think he's going to return. I don't know if that's take or leave it. I don't understand which one you were trying. I think you confused yourself. Uh, I'm going to say it's that very, he It's very easy. It's very easy. Chris Shavino hurt himself in confusion. And it happens all the time. <laughs> but it sounds like you're leaving it. You're leaving it. You're leaving it that he's that this will be his last season. Okay. That's what I'm doing then. I think I have to leave it too because if you look at the reasons why he stayed, I don't think those were really accomplished yet. So it would make sense that he would stay again. But I also don't know if there's going to be a perfect opportunity for him. I want to teave it. Got to lean into my new persona. I'm leaving it. Boom. There you go. Okay. My big one, this one is inspired by our friend Michael Castillo over at Reign of Troy. Talano Hufunga is the best USC safety since Troy Palomalu. And I would just like to point out, I initially wrote it in my delirium, Talano Hufunga is the best USC safety since Talano Hufunga. I literally wrote it as that. And I just want to visual take it. bit it up. I'll take, I'll take that one. <laughs> the best since Talano. Take it. Good try, Keely, but the, the correct question is the best since Troy Palomalu. The problem is that I was not a functioning human when Troy Palomalu was playing at USC, and I don't feel like I can really like immerse myself in the lore. You you're know? not a functioning human now, and you're still covering the team, so <laughs> man up. Shotgun's uh. <laughs> a deep in thought right now. He's, he's flummoxed. I've flummoxed him a couple times on this one. He's, yeah, I give you credit. These were some good ones. You know, some, some real difficult Thinkers. decisions to make. I'm going to leave it just because there's so many other options. There's some really good options there with the Bings, with Taylor Mays, with Sua. And I'm going to leave it. I don't know who the answer would be, but just because there's so many other options, I'm going to leave it. I mean, he's been really good. And I think if he had a full season, and especially if he were to come back for another year, then I think he definitely pushes himself into the similar lore as Troy at USC. The way he plays makes me annoyed that we don't get to see six more games of this. It's really frustrating because I'm like, you just want to see more. You want to see more of what he has to offer. And so that's what's frustrating. But I, my USC player history comparison is not a strong suit whatsoever. So I'm going to follow in Shotgun's lead and say, leave it. Copycat, copycat, Keely's a copycat. Yeah, and I fully owned it. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. <laughs> At least she owned it. Uh, this one isn't really a take it or leave it, but I really, 
I didn't know where to fit it. I just really wanted to ask you guys, what do you think the confidence level would have been with Parker Lewis if they had to make like a 40-yard field goal? I was very curious about that. I said it on Tunnel Vision. I thought that was going to be an interesting one just because he hasn't been exactly money. So his leg is so powerful. It's like a mystic being. If it's too close (laughs) to the field goal, it's just like it's it's weird. It like goes haywire. Yeah, it throws out the power. I think it would depend on the hash. I, I, his last couple misses, if I remember correctly, have been from the right hash, so he's not getting around it and kicking it back. Um, whereas on the left hash, he's been pretty true. So I, I think that would have been part of it. If they, you know, they complete that pass to Tyler Vaughn's. Initially, the plan was to run it and spike it, I believe, you know, because they had a run and play called. So they're trying to get it towards the middle of the field. At, from the eight yard line, I'm taking that all day, and I probably. That was an interesting debate: is whether or not you try to you try to just run it and then spike the ball and kick the field goal and don't give them any time. But it's messed up because UCLA did have three timeouts, so they could have had an opportunity to to get it. So USC goes for it. Keaton Slovis calls the audible, throws a touchdown. Yeah, that's a take it or leave it for you, Chris. Kicker. Or Keaton throwing it up for Almond Ross St. Brown. Which one do you take? I'm taking the throw. Let the gunslinger sling. That that. But that, then you give it. Then you've given UCLA a chance at the hail mary. I, I I'd rather have a higher percentage field goal or touchdown than it's from the eight yard line. It's a twenty five yarder. Yeah, but my question was specifically if they had only gotten like six more. I yards know, but had... she just gave you a take or leave it. And Are I'm rebutting. Are you saying the throw to Amon Ra or Bonds? Yes, the throw to Amon Ra. Oh, take it. So instead of so then you give UCLA Hail Mary opportunity versus if you run it and spike it, you potentially get down. There's no time left when you kick the field goal. They don't have a chance. I'm putting the game in my veterans, not my freshman kicker. Interesting. And I can say that because I'm a former kicker. <laughs> not a good one, but a former kicker nonetheless. So you put the game in the hands of a guy who's played zero snaps of defense because he's the one that swatted the ball away, Drake London. But it's Drake London. But he's played zero snaps. Drake London could play quarterback if he wanted. Parker Lewis could play linebacker if he wanted. Hayes Pollard also played how many defensive snaps? And look how that went. So it's not a great argument, Shotgun. Well, he's the one that said he doesn't want to put it in the hands of a freshman. Look, that's just how I feel. That's why I asked. <laughs> Um, and that wraps up uh, our corporate take it or leave it. Thank you again to Rogaine. Guys, make the comeback of life. Get that hair ba- hairline going. And ladies, too. Rogaine isn't just for men, but I had to shout out to the fellas uh, for this one. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I got to take it or leave it for you guys. Oh, gosh. Talano hey. Hufunga and Drake London, both number 15. Best number combination at USC? Has there been a better one in, that you can remember in recent history? Like playing at the same time? Yes, playing at the same time. I don't have the mental capacity to know that off the top of my head, but I will say yes. I want you guys to think about it for next week then. Okay. See if you can come if up I with can a better do combination. Some research. Because you know, to... you when you go in the bookstore and you buy a jersey if you're a fan, you get a number and hey, you buy 15 one. Hey, now you got a Drake London jersey and a Talano Hufunga jersey. So is it the best jersey to buy at the time that it, that it has been for current players at USC? 
Because you're the, getting the, the most out of it. Yeah, the most be, best value jersey value. buy. That's what we're asking here. Because the the other one that comes to mind immediately is Matt Barkley and TJ McDonald at the same time. Pair of captains. You know, they were both there at number seven. Uh, so that's a really good one. You know, if you want to back-to-back kind of tenures, you can go with number two being Robert Woods and then Adore Jackson a couple years later. But that's, that doesn't really count. But best value number buy for USC. Shotgun, you might have a future in this take it or leave a business. If I'm ever hit by a bus, <laughs> oh, I want gosh. you to carry on my legacy. Or a plane, whatever. Wow. Do you, do you, have, a, do you have a response or are we, are we skipping over to non-corporates? Well, I was going through all the numbers and what kept popping into my mind was Sam Darnold and Achille Ross. And I'm like, that's not a, a great combo there. <laughs> no offense to either of the two. Oh, I do have something to add, though, before we in like while we're in this like take it limbo right now. Hugo sent me an Instagram DM from Rose City Pizza and they put corn on their pizza. And he said corn belongs on pizza, just like El Pastor. So look at that. Interesting. Interesting. I know. So you I'm have a big some... El Pastor fan, too. Yeah, that's great. Very good segue into our final fun ones. It is McRib season. I've never had a McRib. I'm tired of seeing the commercials. <laughs> Have either of you had a McRib? And if so, are you taking it or leaving it? This monstrosity. I have not. I saw a tweet yesterday that said a McRib is like if you doused a flip-flop in barbecue sauce. So I feel like on that alone, I need to leave it. Uh, I have had a McRib, but I will leave it as well. But not, not a big fan. Okay. This I think one... it's just, it's just the, the exclusivity of it. Only being around. It's kind of like the pumpkin spice lattes and stuff. Everybody's going to get it when it comes out. They're not actually that good, though. Good point. Good point. Uh, This one, you either know what I'm talking about or you don't, so I'm not going to explain it. So you either take it or leave it. Okay. But as a a turnover traveler man, I have to ask, uh, are you taking or leaving Tiny Horse? (laughs) The, The silence is deafening. So we don't get an explanation? You either know what this is reference to or you do not. It's in the name, guys. Tiny horse. It's a mini pony, so I'm taking it. Uh, Turn over traveler. I guess I'll take it. Okay, and we're going to wrap this up with a little bit of speed. Uh, Wait, we don't get an explanation? No, you do not get an explanation. I know someone listening to the podcast will understand what what I'm asking of you two, and you both do not get it, so... What? We're moving on. That's, I told you I'm not explaining it. I said it at the top of the thing. When you listen back, Keely, when you edit this, you will you will hear me say I'm not explaining it to you. Uh, finally, the Cleveland Indians will be changing their name uh, against the Indians. Uh, two baseball fans here. I'm just going to read out some of the suggested names. You're either taking or leaving the suggested new nickname. If you take one, it does not mean you're against the other. I just want to get your opinion. Do you understand the question? We do. Yes. Okay, the Cleveland Guardians. Leave it. Leave it. The Cleveland Buckeyes. Ew, leave it. Leave it. To Ohio State. The Cleveland Spiders. Take it. Leave it for our arachnophobia friends. No, that's baseball history there. And finally, the Cleveland Naps. Short for Napoleon after one of the, the, the franchise's greatest players who became the team manager. What a flex. It's like if Shotgun became the manager of the of the uh, the Braves, and then they just named it, years later, the Atlanta Shotguns. Ooh, I like that. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. We got some new baseball names. 
I was expecting some more creativity from you, Chris. I'm sorry. I'm a little let down. Look, I had a 24-hour... Also, these are not... Are you saying for this segment or for the names? For the names, but... These gonna... these are the ones that were suggested. These are not mine. Oh, what's yours? I want one from you. I have to come up with one right on the spot. Yep, right now. Uh, Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> it's worked so well for Washington. <laughs> no, I want something creative. Okay, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Damn it, that's taken. Uh, the Cleveland LeBrons. Yeah, I like it. The one that, that I've heard thrown around that I thought was really interesting... Similar to the Naps, which is named after Nap LaJoy, uh, was the Cleveland Dobies, named after Larry Doby, who was the American League's first player, uh, black player, um, and the Indians' first black player as well. I like the term. I like the phrase Dobies. I like how that sounds. Yeah, that's why I like it. It's better than uh, Naps. It's like Cleveland goes to sleep. You know, that would be the headline. I'm sure Shotgun will be first in line to buy well, to buy one of the new. The new hats when they come out. Depending on what the logo is. And that's all I got for you guys. Keely, take it away. Nice little hand gesture too, Chris. I had to get one visual bit in. It's true. You tried. Alrighty, before we wrap it up, we have a question from at Johnny5, who says, Will Keen Slovis be a top 10 pick in the 2022 NFL draft? Potentially the number one overall pick, as I've seen a PFF analyst say recently. I know we talked about that. I think we specifically talked about the PFF analyst prediction that this that this man is referencing. Uh, I know that's a lot of pressure to put on a sophomore, like a 20-year-old kid. Um, I will take him as a, a top 10 pick. I think at worst, he's a first-round pick right now. I think he, he's having, he's avoiding, he's having an interesting season. You know, there's been ups and downs, but overall, he's still playing very, very well. I think Coming back next year, he's going to be regarded as one of the best, if not the best, uh, quarterback in college football. So, yeah, right now I'm taking him, taking him as a top 10 pick, but obviously lots can change. Yeah, I'm taking that as well just because you're looking at the draft class this year. There could be four guys going the top 10 as quarterbacks. Teams are just always looking for quarterbacks. They're so quick to change on a quarterback and not give guys time to you know, be ready to go because – some guys have been able to win immediately, so it's putting that much more pressure on on guys to come behind them. So a guy like Sam Darnold might not be starting anywhere come next year. So we'll see, you know, if if Keaton Slovis is the is some team's dream, like uh, Trevor Lawrence has been for a couple years for teams. So I, I don't think that the the interesting thing about this question is that you know it's tough to be have that hype as early as he does. It's much easier to be um, the kid up at North Dakota State, you know, he's going to play one game under the bright lights, you know, with everybody saying, oh, he could be a first round pick. You know, it's a lot different when you, you've been hearing about it for two years as you're going in. And even if he, you know, he could potentially come back for a senior year. And then it's three years you've been hearing about potentially being a top pick. And you saw how the pressure can just build and build and build, especially in a place like USC. You saw how it did for Sam Darnold, it would build also for Matt Barkley before him. And those those two trajectories kind of went in different directions that final year. So it's going to be tough for him. But, yeah, I think he has the talent to be a top 10 pick. And he's got a great last name for catchy hashtags. Suck for Slovis. Yeah, it works. What's your favorite one of those, those slogans? Tank for Trevor. Tank for no. Tua had a better Tank for Tua. Flow. A better ring to it. Lose for Lawrence. 
Mm. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Five also had a hot take. He said, with the fight this team has shown, I believe they can hold their own against the top four and deserve to be put in over A&M. Uh, I don't know that A&M has done anything special. You know, losing by 17 or whatever to Alabama, I don't think is special to me. Um, they did beat Florida. Give them credit for that. So I don't know if USC could jump over them to get in. How would they do against the top four? I don't know, but can you imagine this scenario where USC finishes the season playing Oregon, somehow gets in the playoffs. They play Alabama, somehow wins that. And they play Notre Dame to finish off. So the three games that everybody's like, oh, they got the easiest games taken off their schedule. They somehow played them the final three games against the toughest three teams that were on their schedule originally. That'd just be crazy. It's 2020. Who knows? Make it happen. Let's get weird. I don't know how I could top that because that is a just a beautiful rundown of a crazy ending for this USC season. So applause to you, Shotgun, for thinking that one out. That that would be incredible, uh, given everything that's happened this year. Uh, but to, to go with the hot take, I would be interested to see what they could do against the top four team. I do not think they would hold their own though that that's what that's it what depends on who it is you know if it's yeah, notre they're... dame notre dame has played well and they're probably a little bit better than they were last year but they beat usc by what seven last year and three the year before or vice versa you know it's not like they've throttled usc i think usc can match up with them can they match up with alabama can they match up with clemson that might be a different story um i think i think just the way that notre dame is built uh and how they're physical and in the trenches versus you know, I think Alabama and Clemson can out-athlete USC, and that's usually what USC's strength is. Yeah, that's a good point. I just always go back to the 2017 Cotton Bowl, where it's like, we're not in Kansas anymore, and USC goes against <laughs> some big guys in the trenches, and you're like, ooh, okay, this is, a different, this is a different ball game, and it just doesn't work out well for USC in that sense. So what does USC need to happen this weekend to have a chance? You know, that's, uh, it's obviously they got to jump, make a big jump tomorrow or in Tuesday's rankings, excuse me. But what do they have to, what's the best case scenario for them? Ohio State needs to lose to Northwestern. Uh, can USC jump over Northwestern? Northwestern does have a loss. We'll see. But I think it's best if Alabama wins and Notre Dame wins. So those top two, so Clemson would drop out and the number four seed, Ohio State drops out. You now have two openings. Can USC get into one of those openings? I think that's the best case scenario for them. You know, because it's different this year, because there are more teams playing than normally would happen on a on a championship weekend. So uh, we'll see if, if some craziness happens. We've seen it happen before where just weird things happen at the end of the season. We'll see if it happens this time. USC's got to take care of business on Friday before they can worry about anybody's results on Saturday, though. You saying taking care of business on Friday and us recording this podcast gave me weird whiplash where I didn't know what day today was. So it's a Monday. <laughs> welcome to this Welcome to this week. Yep. I think what I said on instant stands true. If you combine the Pac-12 and 2020, you get what this week is. Just stupid dumbness. <laughs> stupid dumbness. Stupid dumbness, obviously. And big boy offense. Big boy offense. And speaking of big boy, stock up Evan Mobley, uh, Pac-12 freshman of the week for second week in a row. Stock down. USC basketball playing right now because they have a COVID positive test and they had to pause all team activities. Yep. Stocked out on this being an easy edit for Keeley. 
Shoot, shoot this tiny horse in the head. Let's let's go. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for our early week edition of the Family Feud podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and submitting your thoughts to the podcast. We love hearing from you guys. We'll come back after USC plays in the championship game and after early signing day. So a lot will happen. We'll have a lot to talk about. Looking forward to that. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Peace. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.